I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Word of God, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we look at these verses. Lord, even looking at the reality of the contention that came, even between two godly men like Paul and Barnabas, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts through this. And God, have your way. Be glorified, be honored, be praised. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You guys may be seated. Before we get into this 36th verse, I I did want to uh, revisit a few passages, a few verses from our uh, passage last time. As you'll remember, we we looked at verses 1 through 35, and we got to a place where we kind of had to rush through a little bit. I just want to kind of visit a couple of those spots and and, uh, um, cover them a little bit better than we did last week. Uh, One of the things we see here in those verses, in verses 7 through 11 in chapter 15, we see uh, Peter standing to um, talk about basically Acts chapter 10. You remember that chapter in which uh, Peter was called for by, uh, by Cornelius, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Roman centurion, to come visit his household so that Peter could talk about Jesus Christ. He wanted to hear the things of of God. And so Peter went, and and Peter talks about that briefly here, and and just the reality of of what had taken place there. But something I wanted to to hit on here, we see that Peter uh, uh, acknowledges that they know that he had gone there. He had gone and made a report to them at the end of that time, you remember, because they were asking him, Peter, what is wrong with you? You as a Jew, you went into a into a Gentile home when you had had a meal with a, a Gentile, what is wrong with you? You know, that kind of a thing. And so he, he went to, to uh, um, as he was in Jerusalem, and they, they kind of called him out on it. Then he explained what happened. He explained how the Holy Spirit uh, had spoken to his heart even before uh, those that Cornelius had sent arrived at the door uh, about the reality that, that Jew and Gentile are to be treated the same, uh, are, uh, are both clean through Jesus Christ, of course, and so forth, and, and all the work that, that had been done, and the reality that God had poured out His Spirit upon the Gentiles in the same way He had poured out His Spirit upon uh, uh, the 120 from that upper room who were praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive, as Jesus had told them, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Uh, and not many days from now, right? And so on the day of Pentecost, that's what happened. And Peter says, in the same way he came upon us, he came upon them. God showing his heart toward the Gentiles and approval of the fact that as they receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are saved in the same manner as, as, as us. We see that in verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. But going back to um, verse 8, Peter said, so God who knows the heart. We, we remember that the Holy Spirit fell upon that, that home and upon those Gentiles even while Peter was still speaking. I mean, he didn't even, he didn't get a chance to ask people to raise their hands if they want to receive Jesus, you know? I mean, he was still speaking, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. God who knows the heart. 
I think that's an important aspect here. He knows your heart. He, he knows the heart of every single person. Uh, the, the heart of those who are not yet saved, who are going to be saved. He's preparing the way for them. He's sending people like you and me to them to be able to share with them. You know, um, in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, we see David speaking to Solomon. And he says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. I think this is very powerful. God searches the heart. He, he searches the heart and understands all the intents of the thoughts. It is the heart that is the, the, the uh, place of origin of our thoughts. Not our brain. It's our heart. I just have to share this with you. Um, this is not in my notes. This is a bonus. But... Um, a good friend of mine, uh, many of you know him, uh, Pastor Holland Davis. He is pastoring Calvary Chapel down in San Clemente. And, and he is a worship leader as well as a pastor. has been involved in leading worship for, for decades. Good worship leader. Well, uh, Tuesday, a week ago this past Tuesday, uh, we were at a pastor's meeting, at, uh, uh, Pastor David in Chino Hills or Chino Chino Valley uh, uh, hosts and and um, he was there and we were talking afterward. He said, "You know what I'd like to do?" He said, "I'd like to come over to your house and, and lead your family in worship." And uh, so we arranged for this past Friday night for him to come out. He and his wife Roxy and Pastor David and Marie came and joined us and and led us in worship. It was a very, very sweet time, you know, and my wife was sitting there with us, I, and, you know, it was uh, such a joy for me to be able to sit next to my wife, haven't done this in many, 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 many months, to sit next to her and worship. And in her limited cognitive abilities with this dementia, which is at final stage, she doesn't talk. She was singing. She wasn't singing words. She was singing. She was trying to. I don't, yeah, you know, and God does not need a person's brain to reach the heart. Doesn't. And I've known that, and I've prayed for her many, many times in that way, just that, Lord, today would you just I know you don't need a brain. Just go directly to her heart. Just cause her to know your presence with her. Cause her to know that you love her. Cause her to have a sense of your peace and, and, and your safety. And, and just because you're there with her, that you're taking care of her, you know? And I, I, I believe that he does that. I believe that he does that. But... I was just overwhelmed with joy with that. But, you know, as, as we're talking about the heart, God knows the heart. Uh, that, that very much relates to this very thing that we experienced Friday night. But God knows your heart, and he knows mine. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. He knows those who truly love him and are searching for him. He knows those who are just playing games. He knows those who are faking it. He knows those who really love him. You know, I mean, he just knows. And, and nobody can fool him, right? 
But the one who's serious about wanting him and loving him and wants to worship him, wants to follow him, wants to obey him, wants to honor him, honor him and, and all of this, well, God honors the one who honors him, right? And as David told Solomon, serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. He knows the heart. He understands all the intents of the heart. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we see the word of God knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart, right? That this word of God, which is uh, a two-edged sword. So I, I just think that's a very precious thing. And and in the context back here to, to Acts chapter 15, as Peter talks about that, God who knows the heart, knowing the heart of Cornelius, knowing the heart of, of, of his household, every member of his household, he poured his spirit out upon them. He is not going to withhold his grace. He's not going to withhold his spirit. He's not going to withhold himself from a person who wants him. He will not. And sometimes we may say, well, God, where are you? He hasn't moved. He hasn't moved. You know, we may not know what he's up to. You know, he, he, he may be withholding his hand of grace for a period of time as a test or something like that. He, he might do something like that. He allows people's, people to, to, to make their choices. And, and so in this fallen world, we get hurt. We get hurt with not only people's choices, but we get hurt with sickness and disease like we're experiencing right now. He gets, gets hurt with the evil and wickedness in the world. We get hurt in so many ways in this world because it's just so broken. But he's here with us to walk us through it, isn't he? Isn't he? Knowing our hearts and wanting to please him, wanting to serve him. Jeremiah 29:13 says, And you will seek me, as God is speaking through the prophet, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? All your heart. All your heart. So, so th those, are, those are important things. And, and as Peter was talking here, it's this idea of, of, of the, the Gentiles having the same access to God through Jesus Christ and the grace that comes through him as the Jews. And that just kind of, it, it was like a, a sword in the side of, of, the, of, of the Jews, especially the Pharisees. They, they just simply did not like that. We also see in verses 22 to 29 the, the decree of the Jerusalem council. And in verse 24 there, we, we see that James tells us, he tells the, the, he tells the, uh, the council there uh, that, well, um, is it verse 20? Yeah, verse 24. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Those who had gone there doing the Judaizing, as we've talked about last week, you know, um, they didn't come from the Jerusalem council. They didn't come from James. You know, the leadership didn't counsel. They just went on their own. You know, and just this whole idea of speaking the words that we've heard. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, chap, uh, verse 23, when the Apostle Paul is writing, he begins to write about communion, and he says... Uh, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. He says, I did receive this from God. You know, and we really don't have a right going anyplace and talking about God in any way with thoughts that we've come up with. We have this. We have the Word of God. We give to others what He's given to us through His Word. Right? We give to Him we will give to others what he has already given to us. Another a very important point. And of course, he, um, James also 
I talked about the level of commitment uh, that Paul and Barnabas had in their ministry as they reached out to the Gentiles. And remember, this, this whole meeting was all about what are we going to do about the Gentiles who come to faith in Christ? Do they really have to become Jews? Like the Judaizers were saying, of course, we, we understand how that wound up. Uh, P, uh, uh, James said, absolutely not. He gave a few uh, uh, guidelines, and, and that was it. Again, in verse 11, Peter said, We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And so we see Silas moving up to verse 34. Silas remained there in Antioch as he had been sent there by the, the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem along with some other men. Silas determined to stay and of course uh, Barnabas and Paul uh, stayed as well. And we see there that they were teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And there's something we see in the New Testament, just the emphasis on the teaching and preaching of the word of God. And anytime we get away from the word of God in any way, we're making a big mistake. Because we, we, we allow ourselves to begin to uh, allow other thoughts and other teachings which are not of God, not, not, not doctrinal according to the Word of God, to, to creep in. And, and that's what happens, you know. I mean, we, and, and pastors can do that for a lot of different reasons. Some of them out of a heart to minister to people that they want to minister to, but they begin to love people before they love God. We must love God and honor Him with the teaching of His Word and then from that perspective, under the umbrella of that safety of, that, of, of, of His covering, love other people. And so we have no right to tell people that, well, your sin is okay. We accept you with this sin. We are to accept people, we're to love on them, but God doesn't accept them in the sense of, of the sin. God wants to, to rid them of that sin through Jesus Christ and bring them to a place of repentance. We have to be careful. The teaching and preaching of God's Word. I'm sure a, a lot of you, maybe all of you, but a lot of you have heard about what's going on at... Uh, uh, the University of Asbury, Asbury, Asbury College, I think it is. There's a, uh, what many people are calling a revival taking place there. You know, there's been a, a, a prayer meeting that's been going on for about 10 days or so now. Uh, it, it started after a, 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 a chapel service, and, and the kids just hung out and, and prayed, and the, the Spirit fell upon them. They've been praying and praying and praying, and and, and it's a good thing, it really is, you know. And, and so people are coming from all around and they're lining up to get into the room and this prayer meeting that's not stopping. You know, it's, it's encouraging to me because it tells me that people really want God. That people really want God. But, but I, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I haven't heard that the Word is being taught there. I haven't read that. And while the prayer is good, you know, and, and one of the things that I, that I hear from people, you know, is somebody that I may not know, but they claim to be a Christian or something, and, and, or, you know, and just start asking questions, and, you know, I mean, do you have a relationship with the Lord? Yeah, I, I pray every day. Are, are you in the Word? Well, you know, I pray every day. And, and, and so many people think that prayer is enough. It's not. It's not a bad thing, of course. It's a good thing. We need to bear our hearts and our souls to the Lord. But we've got to receive from Him. I change, you change, as the Word of God gets into our hearts. And so what happens with something that's going on at, at Asbury College right now is, you know, well, we, we love to see something like that, but I, I pray that, that people teachers start coming in into those prayer meetings and they, they, they take 45 minutes, teach the Word of God and then pray some more and, and do that a few times a day so that the Word of God becomes central because that causes growth. 
And what might be called a uh, revival cannot be sustained apart from the Word of God. You know, the, that prayer meeting might last another three months. But then the kids go home from, sco- from, from school. Then it's done. The revival's over. Prayer isn't enough. You know what I mean? And, I, and I, I'm not, I, I don't want to be in any way, certainly not condemning what's taking place. I don't want to be critical of it, but I just want to lay out the importance of God's word. The importance of God's word. Any movement of God cannot be sustained without teaching. The, the apostolic doctrine. As we see in Acts 2.42. We see that the, the early church in that, in that verse, that, that they continued in, in div- being devoted to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The apostles' doctrine and the apostles' fellowship. So that's extremely, extremely important. I, I did read this quote um, from one of the uh, leaders there at Asbury College. Uh, I, I, I made a mistake by not quoting the, who the person is, uh, but one, one of the leaders there at the, church, at, the, uh, at the college, he said, I think it is wise to see this at the current phase as an awakening, he wrote. Only if we see lasting transformation which shakes the comfortable foundations of the church and truly brings us all to a new and deeper place can we look back in hindsight and say, yes, this has been a revival. I like that. I like that word of caution. Get the word out. Just teach the word of God. Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformation takes place by our minds being renewed, meaning we begin to think differently. We start thinking like God thinks because His Word gets into our hearts. The renewing of our mind, not the brain. We're not talking about knowledge. We're talking about a renewal of who and what we are by the power of God's Spirit through the Word of God. Our minds, our way of thinking, changing. God's thoughts become our thoughts as His Word is etched upon our hearts and our minds as we in faith believe that His Word is faithful and true. His Word is not going to change me and it will not change you if you do not believe that it is true. Simply will not. How can I know that I believe it? Because I obey it. You can know that you believe it when you live a life of obedience to the Word of God. And so, teaching and preaching the Word of God. Now, verse 36. We we see that Luke writes, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren. In every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So follow what ministry is talking about. Let's go back and check and see how they're doing. Which is a a, a wonderful, wonderful heart. The same thing that Paul and Barnabas did at the end of that first journey when they went through the cities. It just backtracked. To, to go back home to, to, to their church in Antioch in, in Acts 14.22. We see this written by, uh, by uh, Luke, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, you'll remember this, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. I, I mean, this is days after he was stoned and left for dead, remember? Yeah, Paul understood that. He desired to, 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 to follow up with the saints who had come to faith during that first missionary journey. And so he, 
same heart expressed here in verse 36. And we'll come back and talk about that just a little bit more in just a few minutes. But going on there, verse 37. Now, in, in that 37th verse, Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. Remember that uh, John Mark, or we'll call him Mark, is, and of course Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark as he received it from Peter, the Apostle Peter. But um, we see that Barnabas wanted to take him with, with, on the trip, and, and, and Paul is saying, no, in verse 40, 38, he insisted that they should not take with them the one, the one, who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You remember that early on they got, they got to Perga and, and, and we, they're in Pamphylia, the city of Perga, and it, it is stated that Mark went back to Jerusalem and Paul and Barnabas went on. He bailed on them. And, and basically Paul is saying, no, we don't need any unfaithful servants with us. The work is hard. No, he's not coming. And you can see Barnabas, and we, we talked about this somewhat back, back then when we, when we were looking at that passage in chapter 14, or chapter 13 actually, it was 13.13 that, that we see uh, Mark actually leaving. We talked about it a bit, but you can see Barnabas as an encourager, just uh, uh, wanting to encourage his, his cousin, Mark. He loves the Lord, you know, and who knows the kinds of things that he's saying, but he wanted to be with him. He wanted to help him in his growth in the Lord and in his lear learning ministry. Well, Paul would have nothing of it. And so, verse 39, the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Barnabas and Mark went to, to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas was from. He was so... Um, it was so important to him to have Mark at his side to do ministry that he left Paul's side to minister with, with Mark. Was Paul being too hard? Was Barnabas being too soft? They were just acting according to who they were. You know, it's not that Paul was not an encourager, but Barnabas did have the name Son of Encouragement. That's what he wanted to do. But contention is not a good thing. It needs to be worked through. And obviously this was worked through later at some time, some way, and Mark began to serve even under the Apostle Paul's ministry. Uh, and we, we talked about this back then. But one thing that's interesting is that even in, with this contention that Paul, excuse me, that God, that God used the contention to create an additional missionary team. So God sends one team to Cyprus and the other team back to the other churches and, and, and uh, that they'd already uh, been to, as well as several more as the the second missionary journey expands from the first. But was Paul's heart to follow up? You see that he had, he gives to us really a biblical model for evangelism. Now, I would not say, yes, this, this would be the case that a church that sends out missionary teams to, to evangelize. Uh, if we go out into the street to evangelize, if we have a um, crusade of some kind, some kind of ministry to evangelize, we've got to be ready to follow up as well. Because that's the important part. Because God doesn't call us to, to, to make deciders. He calls us to make disciples. To make disciples. But Paul, with his passion for the lost, see, he had a love for God 
that came through his own relationship with God, the work that God had done in his own heart, the forgiveness that he had received from God, and the blessings of being able to serve him. He wanted others to experience that. He wanted others to get saved. He had God's heart for the lost. It was given to him. But he had a commitment to obedience. A commitment to obedience. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. The context being that um, King Saul had gone to Amalek, being instructed, destroy everything and everyone. That was God's word to him. Then Saul brought back the king and brought back the choicest of the animals to sacrifice to God. Samuel the prophet comes to him, and Saul's all happy because they had this victory, and he's got these spoils of war and this king and everything. And, hey, Samuel, I've done what God said. And Samuel says, and why do I hear sheep? If you did what God said. Of course he did. And then verse 22 of Samuel, 1 Samuel 15. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? That's a heavy question right there. We can give ourselves in service, sacrificial service to the Lord. We can give financially where it's sacrificial and it hurts to some degree. We can make all kinds of sacrifices and that is not what God wants as he compares it to obeying him. The sacrifice of obedience. Obeying him when it's hard. Keep on going when it's difficult. Keep serving him even when you feel like you can't anymore, whether it's out of physical uh, uh, weariness or emotional pain or whatever it may be, keep on going in obedience to the Lord. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Again, has the Lord as, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and obeying the voice of the Lord? If you want to bring delight to your God's heart, do what he says, right? Just simply do what he says. He knows what's good for you. I always go back to Deuteronomy 5.29 when God is speaking to, to Moses and, and God says to Moses, speaking of the children of Israel, oh that, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would obey me always and keep my commandments. That it will be well with them and with their children forever. He just wants things to go well for us. So he gives us commands to stay away things from things that will hurt us and to be involved in things that will be a blessing to us. It's that simple. And if we can just get it settled in our hearts that he knows what's good for me and I don't. And understanding that we have desires to do things, to fulfill things which may not be good. But if we follow our own hearts, we get into trouble. Anybody here ever get into trouble by following your own heart and desire? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Going on in this passage, and I got, I got to go more quickly here. Um, Behold, Samuel says, really the Lord is saying through Samuel to King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, to take heed to God's word, to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. These are heavy things, guys. And these words, rebellion and stubbornness, the, these, that, that's, those are just other words for sin. Which is another word for disobedience to God. Right? 
You might as well be a witch practicing your, 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 your doing your potions or whatever, you know, as, as be disobedient to God. That's heavy. Now, none of us obey him perfectly, but he knows the heart. He knows if you're really trying. Or he knows if you're just trying to look good. He knows. And then finally, the Lord says through Samuel to Saul, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. What a big price to pay. Something for us to learn. Well, well Paul also had a love for people. He had a, a, a love for the souls of people. We already mentioned this. In Matthew 9, 36 to 38, but when he, Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then following that, he began to teach them. Compassion. If you have compassion for people around you, bring the Lord to them through his word. After Jesus did this, he began teaching them and he called the 12 disciples to himself. He gave them power by his spirit to do things, to, to teach and to preach and to, 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 to heal and, and to cast out demons and all. And he sent them out. And one thing that God will always do when he, when he points out a need to you, when he says to you, hey, have you noticed this over here? They, they, they could use some ministry there. They could use me. You know, that he's sending you. And he will equip you to do what he's sending you to do. He always does. This uh, passion for the lost is developed through the word of God um, and, and developed through a love for God's word. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. David writing about his love for God's word. It's just something that all of us need to ask ourselves is, is simply this. Do I love God's word that way? Do I think of God's word throughout the day? Paul's passionate concern for those without Christ uh, was, was echoed through the heart of J. Hudson Taylor, that famous missionary to, uh, uh, to China, an Englishman who, became, who came, as we know, became like the Chinese, learned the language, dressed like them and everything. And this is something that, that uh, uh, Taylor wrote. He wrote, I have a stronger desire than ever to go to China. That land is ever in my thoughts. Think of it, 360 million souls. How many are in China now? About a billion, right? Something like a billion? 360 million souls without God or hope in the world. Think of more than 12 millions of our fellow creatures dying every year without any of the consolations of the gospel. Barnsley, this is a, a, a community that th those who he's writing to uh, lived in, I'm, I'm assuming. Barnsley, including the common, has only 15,000 inhabitants. Imagine what it would be if all these were to die in 12 months. Yet in China, year by year, hundreds are dying for every man, woman, and child in Barnsley. Poor, neglected China. Seriously, anyone cares about it. That was his heart. And such passion can't be learned by studying evangelistic methodology. It is learned by studying God's word, by having him speak to our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as, a, as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord the Spirit doing His work 
as we are filled with his word. There was a commitment to discipleship from, from the Apostle Paul. In uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we touched on this already just a moment ago. Jesus gave his instructions to his uh, disciples. He said to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, not deciders, but disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, teaching them obedience, right? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end, end of the age. And then Mark wrote, or excuse me, um, Matthew wrote, Amen. We are to make disciples. And it's a command that he gives to us. And guys, you know, um, I, I, I just want to share with you, this is something that's for all of us. This does not mean that the church needs to start up a discipleship ministry. Not that that's a bad thing to do. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But I'm saying that this is something that he gives to all of us as Christians, as his followers. Every one of us are given the command from Jesus, go therefore and make disciples. People in the workplace, our, our neighbors, family members who don't yet know Jesus, that's our uh, field of, min of ministry. That's our mission field. Make disciples. They need Jesus. We don't like to think about this, but the reality is, if they don't come to Christ, we know their end. We, we, we know what eternity is going to be like for them. We know that. Do we have a heart for them or not? Do we want to see them avoid that or not, right? You know? It's, it's, it's kind of simple, you know? And, and it's, it's been pointed out that, you know, we, we, we see members of cults like Mormonism and, and Jehovah's Witnesses sending out teams to knock on our doors on Saturday mornings. Simply because that's what they're supposed to do. Not because they have the heart of God to, to, to see them get saved. How many of us are doing something like that? But not even knocking on doors. I mean, it's like, you know, there's this idea of friendship evangelism. Evangelizing people that we know. It's important for us to do so. A disciple is someone who's learning about Jesus. In John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So many in the world who are in bondage to sin, bondage to the th ways of the world, bondage to different things, and the only way they're going to find freedom is through God's word. That's the only way, the only way. Just like you found, guys, just like we, I, I found, well, the only way to freedom was through the word of God, right? And Jesus also said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. God has filled your heart with love. If God is there, he's filled your heart with love. That's what he does. But you know, we can get too busy, so busy with things around us, you know, the, the job, chores around the house, making our bill payments, uh, making sure the car is running, you know, uh, we've got the kids, uh, got the grandkids, whatever. And, and none of those are things that should be necessarily avoided but there's also the things that we entertain ourselves with you know watching TV watching football games well football games football's over now but basketball is going the playoffs are coming spring training is here and the shoe stores are always open a lot of distractions for us, you know. Our culture is designed to keep us away from 
our service to God. Let's remain in his word and allow him to use us. Oswald Chambers in his uh, devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, and this is the April 24th uh, entry, he writes this, Our work as his disciples is to disciple others' lives until they are totally yielded to God. That's not just a one-day thing, is it? One life totally devoted to God is of more value to him than a hundred lives which have been simply awakened by his Spirit. As workers for God, we must reproduce our own kind spiritually, and those lives will be God's testimony to us as his workers. God brings us up to a standard of life through his grace, and we are responsible for reproducing that same standard in others. But guys, it's not simply knowing God's word, but it's doing it again. Being a learner and a follower. That's a disciple. Learn from your master. Follow your master based on what he's taught you. John 13, 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you, what? Do them. Do them. We aren't blessed by simply knowing God's word. We're blessed by doing it. We're blessed by doing it. And guys, as your pastor, I want you to grow in Christ. I want you to, to, to know the, 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 the grace of his presence and experience the joy uh, of being in that presence, of, of experiencing the joy of, of serving him and being used by him, the, the joy of leading someone to Christ, the joy of being able to take them through the word of God, to, 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 to train them up, to, to just share what God has done in you and with you, sharing your favorite passages of Scripture with them, you know, going through the Gospel of John or whatever it may be. You know, all of us are in discipleship ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a discipler. And, and I think the, the, the best way that this sh should be working is that every one of us should continue in the sense of being discipled. And, and that's taking place right now. You know, I, 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 on a Sunday morning and on a Wednesday night, I'm your discipler, if you will, you know, because I'm teaching you God's word. And that's very true. But also, you know, continuing being discipled and continuing in discipling someone else. You know, that, that, that's, that's God's design. That's God's design. We know that Jesus said that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. He said, go, make disciples of all nations. Finally, Jesus closes out his uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, a very familiar passage. Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine hears these sayings of mine, hears my word, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, hears my word, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. God's word is not the rock upon which to build your house. Obedience to God's word is the rock upon which to build our house, right? Not his word. Remember, Satan and his demons know his word better than you or I do. They've been exposed to it a lot longer than we have. And they know how to twist it. They, they know how to make it mean something that it doesn't mean and, 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 and entice us and, 
and deceive us into believing those things that aren't true. And you know, guys, if we simply hear the word and do it, our lives will be blessed. And when the storm comes, your life will not be destroyed. You'll continue on because you're living a life of obedience to God's word as his disciple. And we can train people other, train other people up even as they watch us go through the trial too. Watch us go through the storm to see how we weather the storm. Is God's word true? Let's cause everybody to see that it is. Amen? Father, help us. Help us, God, to, in lives of obedience, to uh, be a testimony of your grace and your mercy to others. Help us, God, to be used by you in the lives of others around us. Not simply as they watch us, yes, that, but more than that, Lord, as we talk about your word. Think about Deuteronomy 6, about the way it talks about how we're to train up our children in such a way that we teach them God's word. And we'll talk about your word when we lie down and rise up. all, All times during the day, Lord, that just becomes something that we bring into play with every situation that we can. God, have your way. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness and and giving to us your heart through your word. And God, we pray that we will receive your heart even as we read your word. Holy Spirit, give us understanding of these truths. Give us also a desire to follow them. Give us the ability to follow them. And Lord, in your power, bring results from them as you bring testimony to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, have your way. Be glorified. And we ask it in Jesus' name.